The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City Church, and I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, Two weeks before Easter, we're coming up on the greatest season um, in our church calendar, in our calendar at all. I mean, this is an exciting time. I wanted to remind you of Good Friday. We are having a service here at 6 o'clock on Good Friday. And it's going to be called, sometimes they're called a tenenbrae service or a service of shadows. And it's going to be um, like a funeral. All right? I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, Ecclesiastes tell us we should enjoy going to funerals more than weddings. All right? Why? Because you're all going to die. All right? That's why. And it reminds us that we are finite. It reminds us we need a Savior. It reminds us the cost and the price that Christ paid for us in order that we could be His. We just sung, I am yours, I am yours. Not because you're sexy, baby. All right? That's not why you're his. You're his because he paid the ultimate price to get you. All right? He came down and rescued us. It's, a, it's amazing. So that Friday night, we, we remember, we go through a lot of scripture and we tell the, the story of the passion and the story of his death. And, and, and the service gets darker and darker and darker as we go through it where finally the last light walks out and then it, it comes back kind of shadowed, reminding us that Christ died, but there's still a glimmer, right? There's still this glimmer of hope. And then we know now, because we're 2,000 years later, that Sunday morning is a completely different story. Sunday morning is a resurrection. Sunday morning is a wedding. Sunday morning is bright and beautiful. And we've got the Easter lilies and all the stuff. So I encourage you, come on out to this Friday night service you can. I think it's going to be meaningful for us. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Six o'clock, Good Friday. And um, the other thing I want to announce is if you are going to our Gospel-Centered Discipleship class, um, we are here again this week from 2 to 5. And the, the two books that I ordered for you are in. You can get them at, the, um, at the, the box office in the back. Or we will also have them um, at, the, um, at the Discipleship Training this afternoon. Um, they're 10 bucks a piece. So if you if you've got it, pay for them. You can use your swipe. You can use your card and everything like that. Pay for them up there. If not, then we will. If you don't have it, uh, we'll, we, we're going to just sow this into your life, and we we want to plant this resource in you because we believe um, that strongly in them. Um, we are here to make disciples. We are not here just to do a service. We're not here just to perform weddings. We're not here just to feel good. We're not here um, just to do our li- little religious duty on a Sunday morning. We are here to make disciples who make disciples who go to the ends of the earth making disciples, baptizing people, teaching them the ways of Jesus. All right, that's why we exist. Um, we try to go as deep into the gospel as possible. All right, we believe that the gospel isn't um, just one, just a thing you believe to get into the church. But the gospel is the way you get into the church, and it's also the way you deepen your relationship with Christ. It's always going further and further and further into belief in the gospel of what Jesus Christ has done for us. <clears throat> so that's that, 2 to 5 this afternoon. Hopefully I'll see you there. And uh, <clears throat> I'm going to get started today. I'm going to pray. So, Father... Thank you for being sovereign over all. Thank you for ruling and ordering all of creation from your heavenly throne. Thank you that nothing escapes your plan, nothing escapes your purpose. Um, And most importantly, 
Thank you for sending your son to redeem us. Thank you for sending him as a spotless lamb to be led to the slaughter on our behalf, to pay our price, to purchase for himself a bride. And Jesus, thank you for being obedient to the Father, even obedient unto death. Thank you for finishing that work. Thank you for resurrecting from the dead, for not leaving us alone, but sending us a comforter, sending us the Holy Spirit to convict us, to remind us of Jesus, to remind us of the Father, to point back to the plan, to, to, to convince us, convict us of the gospel. I pray that you would resurrect the spiritually dead in this room today. I pray that you would heal dead marriages in this room today. I pray that you would deepen our conversion experience, that you would deepen our sanctification, that you would deepen our realization of the love of God today. All of this for the glory of God and for our good. We are nothing and you are everything. We worship you this morning. Well, we've spent seven weeks in this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, 21 through 33 on marriage. Um, I hope you have found it uh, fruitful and as refreshing as I have. It's been my joy uh, studying this and preaching it to you. I, I, it's something I love to do. I love to dig in the scriptures. I love to um, get on my knees before God and say, I have nothing to say to these people about marriage. Show me something ASAP or I'm going to look like a fool. Okay. That's what it's like to be a pastor who speaks week after week. All right. It's, I got nothing. God, you better show up or I'm in trouble. All right. Week after week of desperation, uh, needing God to do something, needing God to speak to me. And he uh, never fails. I fail often, but he never fails. And I'm just going to be really candid and open with you this morning. Um, There's a tendency in America that we want to um, turn people into performers. And by doing that, we turn ourselves into consumers. So we come to a church and we say, preacher, feed me. And what that does is turns you into somebody who just eats. Who's someone who needs to be fed? You turn, you become a consumer, and the guy up there becomes a producer. And I want you to tell, I wanted to tell you my sin, the sinful nature of my heart. John Calvin says that that the human heart is an idol factory. We create idols. We want to worship other things. We want to worship ourselves. My sinful heart. When people come in and say that to me, my sinful heart says, "Okay, let's do this." Right? You want a producer? I'll produce. I can produce. All right, let's do this. I'll produce. And I want, to pre- I want to become a performer. And I want to prove my worth to you by how well I perform on Sunday morning. How studied I am. How prepared I am. How insightful I am. Wow, how, how much revelation that I can give you. Wow, that, that guy really gets it, man. He, he, he really communicates the scripture. I want to play to that. That's my idolatry. It's my sin. All right? And God in His grace... Gives me people to pastor throughout the week. What is it, what I mean by that? That means back in the day, I used to spend 20 to 24 hours a week pre- preparing a sermon. Okay? It's pretty average. Um, for a lot of people, it's pretty average. And I did very little pastoring. I did very little shepherding, very little counseling. Uh, because preaching was the main, the main gig. And 
God's flipped that on me, and, and he wants me to shepherd, he wants me to pastor, he wants me to counsel, he wants me to do these things. So one way he, he is sanctifying me, one way he is beating this idol to death in my life of wanting to be a performer is by giving me unexpected phone calls, by giving me 1.30 a.m. text messages. Not a good idea, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm leaving my phone in the downstairs now, so just letting people know that out from the stage. My phone does not come to bed with me anymore. Um, giving me these things to sanctify me. Justin Shepherd, Justin Pastor, put the message on the back burner. Put the message on the back burner. So my study times can get pushed back a little bit. My planning and prep time can get put back a little bit. And what does that do to me? Forces me to rely on the Holy Spirit. Forces me to say, I'm not a performer. My identity is not found in how well I preach. God does not please. He's not up there saying, oh, do it again, son. Do it again. I am perfectly accepted by God the Father because of the work of Jesus Christ the Son. My love and identity is firmly secured in that. I am a forgiven son because of his grace. And I want to, I want to, I want to you know, one of my mentors, I, I, called one, I called him this week and I just kind of vomited on him, right? Of, of my stuff that's going on. And he, he just confirmed this to me. He preached the gospel to me. He said, this is not... Uh, your identity is not found in doing these things. You just get up and you tell the people, this week I was a pastor and I might not be a very good performer. Okay? I spent more time shepherding than I did on the sermon. And that's just the way it is. And, I, and But you, you know what? And I, I'm just telling you that because this is the work of God in my heart. This is the sanctification process in my heart. This is how God is uh, going to war with some of the idols in my heart. But with that said, I am excited uh, to preach this morning. Uh, I was going to spend a whole other week on the male, female, headship, helpership type roles. Uh, but instead I wrote a couple of posts on the city. One for the dudes, one for the ladies. And uh, I just said, you know, I think I'll do that. And I think I'm going to move on. Um, if I was, uh, I hope you've read them, by the way, on the city. And I hope you find them helpful. Uh, SacredCityChurch.com. And then you can click on connect or you can clip on, click on the city button. And you can find those. Hope you found them helpful. If I was a single person, um, I would be printing them off. If I was, excuse me, a single person, I'd be doing two things with them. I'd be praying through them every day. I'd be, if I was a man, I'd be reading the man one. I'd say, Father, do this in me. Help me believe this is who you've made me into. Help me believe the Spirit of God is here to enable me to be. This is who I am right here. Help me be this man of God. And if I was a single dude, I would also be reading through the, one, the female one every day. And I'd say, Father, I pray for my future wife that she's this, that you're developing this in her. I'd be praying for that. I'd be memorizing the traits of the opposite sex that I desire, that are honorable in a spouse. So you don't get distracted by the way she looks in a skirt, okay? Summertime, it's coming. Men turn into dogs, Okay? I would be doing that if I was a single person. I would be doing it every single day. Um, <clears throat> so, but today, so I did that. So today I'm not going to go back over to, I'm not going to talk about roles. Um, today is going to be the last, uh, the last week in our, in our marriage series. Uh, I think, I'm just going to throw that out there. You know, I don't really know for sure, but I'm planning on it. This being our last week. 
Uh, I'm just being honest. I'm tired of marriage. Okay? <laughs> tired. Tired of it. Tired of talking about it. Tired of thinking about it. And, you know, every time I preach a sermon, it's just changing. I got to go home and live it out. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm tired of this stuff. It's going to something else. All right? It's really a bad thing when you go home and you hear your, you hear your wife listening to your own sermon and you're coming up like, dang it, it's convict-. like you're convicting yourself somehow through a podcast. It's not a good thing. Shut that guy up. The problem is though, I'm ready to be done with marriage, but the problem is about 95, and this is just a guess, but I think it probably is closer to 99%, probably about 95% of all of um, my counseling is around the topic of marriage. Right? It's married people that don't want to be married anymore. Right? They're both living like self-centered individuals and they don't want to be married anymore. Or it's single people who don't know how to live single and they think being married is going to heal them. They think all I need to be is, I just need to get married. Once I get married, my problems are gone. Right? And we laugh at that. All the people that have been married laugh at that. But all the single people are like, you guys just don't know. (laughs) Single people. Every married person started out single. They know. You don't know. You've never been married, okay? <clears throat> so this, type, this topic, for me, is kind of in like a group therapy session, right? It's like a group counseling s- session. I get to like kill six premarital counseling sessions at once through this seven-week series. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, I'm going to try to finish it up. I'm going to try to close it up. And um, I, might, I might cook your noodle a little bit. I hope I do. I hope the Spirit of God does. Um, I might challenge you. I might um, confront a paradigm um, that you've had about marriage or about life or about God or about the gospel. I might confront that. And um, I think it'll be good. So I'm titling this sermon, Marriage as the theater of God. Marriage as the theater of God. For me, personally, this might be uh, the most life-changing truth about marriage that I've learned. Now, we're going to look at Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. We're not going to read the whole passage. We've been doing that for seven weeks. So we're just going to um, read these two verses. By now, you probably have this passage almost memorized. So if you've got, a, if you wanna, if you got your Bible, open it up. If you've got version, pull it up. If you need a Bible, there's a few sitting in the back. Um, we, part of me breaking apart the Word of God on a Sunday morning is so that you learn to do that yourself. So you can take it home and you can read it yourself. And um, So we really want you to follow along. Chapter 5 of, of Ephesians, verses 31 and 32. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. We know he's quoting Genesis 1 there. This mystery is profound, right? This mystery is profound. It's actually in the Greek, it's mega mysterion. This, a profound mystery or a mega mystery, all right? Marriage is a mega mystery, but why? Because this, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church, I love this, OK? 
Okay, I love this. This is what God does with the word of God that's living and active. He says, this is what marriage looks like. Husbands do this. Wives do this. Submit, right? Lead, right? Love, respect. Marriage is priority. First and foremost, most important relationship in your life. Um, Marriage is a covenantal relationship, right? Everything he said to us, now listen, this is crazy, applies to marriage. Yeah. But also, more deeply, it's pointing to our relationship with Christ. Marriage is Christocentric. Okay, what what the heck does that mean, Justin? That means this. One of the things that Jesus did when he died and he resurrected and he came back, one of the things he did at the end of the book of Luke is he... The apostles didn't even recognize him. He starts teaching them, and this is what he does. He starts in Genesis and goes through all the way through the Old Testament. And what he does is he gives them a new way to read their Bible. People always wonder, why didn't the people in the Old Testament get it, man? The reason they didn't get it is because they were looking forward to something that they couldn't really see. They were hoping for something they couldn't really see. They saw David and they saw Moses and they saw Isaac and they saw Abraham and they saw these little, they, they, these stories and they kind of turned them into these moralistic tales. Be like Abraham and be like David, you know, go out and slay your Goliath and you can overcome if you love Jesus. And, you know, they, they, they saw God and they saw the story of God in those narrow, with that narrow lens. But what Jesus does in the end of Luke is he goes back and he shows them every story in the Old Testament. He, point, he, goes, he goes through the Old Testament and he says, everything was about me. In theological terms, he gives them a new hermeneutic, a new gospel-centered hermeneutic, a new way to view and read scripture. So now looking back when we see David... Okay, David slaying Goliath is not about how the little guy with God's help and a few rocks can overcome any obstacle in your life, right? Debt, debt is Goliath and you can overcome debt if you get these five smooth stones and here's what the five smooth stones mean, missing it entirely. David, Jesus Christ was the good and better David. Jesus Christ was the, the weak lowly one who defeated the greatest enemy in the history of mankind, death, once and for all. He cut the head off of death. David is pointing to a greater reality that Jesus Christ fulfilled. You can go back and you can read the entire Old Testament that way. Moses, the great deliverer. Hmm, I think he's a good deliverer. I think Jesus Christ is the great deliverer. Right? Moses led his people out of bondage. Jesus Christ leads his people out of ultimate bondage, never to be enslaved again. Right? You can go through and read the entire Old Testament with his new gospel-centered hermeneutic. And Jesus gave us that instruction at the end of Luke. Now listen, same thing's happening here. All this teaching on marriage. Yes, it's good. It's true. It's right. It's about marriage. But it's also about him. It's a what? Mega mystery. Mega mystery. It's about him. How is it about him? In other words, there's something about marriage that teaches us about Christ, God, and the gospel. There's something about marriage that teaches about us about the gospel. Conversely, there's something about the gospel 
that teaches us about marriage. Paul is telling us that marriage is like a theater where God's gospel story gets played out over and over and over again. Well, lid. I'm going to give you two ways this plays out. And uh, I'm going to give you two ways this plays out in marriage, okay? If you're taking notes, this is what you write down. Two ways that marriage is like a theater where God's story, God's gospel story gets played out over, over, and over, and over again. Number one, we learn about repentance and grace. We learn about repentance and grace. Number two, I'm going to give them to you and then we'll unpackage them later. We learn about repentance and grace. Number two, we learn about intimacy and fruitfulness. Repentance and grace, intimacy and fruitfulness. So let's start off with uh, how marriage teaches us about grace and repentance. Marriage is a theater. It's a stage where God's plan of grace and repentance plays out. Um, In our culture, if you did not know this, in our culture, uh, forgiveness is the real F word. All right? Forgiveness is the naughty word that we're taught not really to believe in. Our society teaches us to never forgive. People think you're crazy for forgiving someone. Or if they do forgive, they say, well, I'll forgive, but you know I ain't going to forget. Which is really just a way of saying, I haven't forgiven you. I still think you're that person. Right? I haven't really released it. I'm still going to, as soon as you show a little bit of that behavior, I'm going to remind you of what you did. Right? So, forget. we don't really forgive. We just kind of, hmm, okay. Right? Someone repents. Someone owns their sin. Like maybe in a missional community, someone comes out and says, you know what? I've been doing this, this, this. I've sinned against this. I've sinned. And I, I just own that. And I, I repent of that. And I want to turn from that. And maybe, maybe sometimes we can sit back and go, hmm, I'm glad you finally admitted that. About time. We don't really expect them that they've changed. We don't really offer them any forgiveness or any hope. We just kind of sit back and think, hmm, I'm glad you finally admitted that. I'm glad you really see how crappy of a person you are. I've seen it all along, actually. <laughs> now you finally know. That's good. Right? We, we do this. We hear public... I mean, th- th- our culture has created this in us. You hear a public apology, what do you think? Eh. You hear a politician repent? Right? right? Those two words, I just... That was like... Those two words don't go together. Right? And we all think, yeah, right. You hear a, a celebrity caught in a scandal. It's not me, it's not me, it's not me. Okay, fine. You know, enough evidence finally comes out. It was me. We're not... We don't forgive. We don't forgive. But in marriage, see, we believe, now this is why, and and there's some truth to this. We believe that forgiveness is just too difficult for us. It puts us in too weak of a position. If I offer forgiveness, that means my guard goes down and they can hurt me again. Forgiveness, we believe, will just cost us too much. It's too painful for us. And we could really be, it could hurt us beyond repair. So we play it safe. 
we refuse to forgive. But in marriage, see, you'll learn quickly that it's just the opposite. You think repenting, you think offering forgiveness will crush you? In marriage, withholding forgiveness will crush you. Withholding grace and forgiveness in a relationship will crush you. Constantly need to check text messages. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? Can't forgive. That is a weight that no one's meant to carry. It's a crushing weight being unable to forgive. See, if you refuse to forgive, you will be crushed. And this is one way, now listen, this is one way that marriage displays the gospel story. How does it display the gospel story, Justin? This, this is the gospel story. I'm going to pull back 30,000 foot view of the entire Bible. Here's the Bible. God creates. Everything's perfect. Money, peace, everything. Not money, literally, but just it's money, right? It's good. It's golden. Everything's great. Sin and selfishness enters the picture. Everything breaks. Everything fractures. Everything goes downhill. We are separated from God. We are separated from each other. Our relationships are broken. And what happens? This is huge right here. This is how the gospel teaches us about marriage and teaches us how to forgive. This is what happens. God shows us his one-way love. He creates us perfect. There's peace. We screw it up in our sin. God comes after us. God does not say, when they repent, then I'll do something. When they've shown me they really want forgiveness, then I'll do something. No. God goes after Adam and Eve. God sacrifices an animal for them. He clothes them and covers them with their sin. God shows his grace. God shows his one-way love. And we know, if you know the economy of salvation, if you know the plan and the order of salvation, that's how God saved us too. Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses. Nothing to offer. God showed his one-way love, just like he did to Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus did not have an option. Lazarus was not laying there dead thinking, eh, my free will says no. God overrides his free will. Lazarus, come forth. Boom, he gets up. That's what happens to us in salvation. God shows his one-way love to us. Now, don't go, don't get crazy on me. What's our response? Our response, once we have eyes to see, once we're awakened from the dead, once God has shown his one-way love to us, our response is faith and repentance. Father, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for adopting me. Thank you for doing this. I turn from my old ways. I turn from my sin. I turn from the person who I was. That's this dance. That's this drama of forgiveness and repentance that plays out through the gospel story. And then, so we have creation, fall, redemption. Jesus Christ does this for us, comes after us. God does it. God orders it. He's our redeemer. And then we have restoration, which is new creation, new heavens. Okay? <clears throat> now that's the, the big picture, the gospel story. <clears throat> now this is, listen, this is how it plays out in marriage. Things are good. 
hopefully, sometimes, right? This moment, things are good. We're at peace. Kids haven't killed anybody this week. And I haven't killed a child this week. And, you know, like things are, things are okay. Things are at peace. And then one of the spot, one of, one, one of the couple here, right? Husband or wife, sins against the other. Snaps at her or, um, you know, I don't know. We, you can play this out whatever way. There's something, some kind of sin, some kind of abuse to the relationship, some kind of harm to the relationship. And just like all sin replayed from the gospel story, what happens? You fall out of peace. Things were good. One person sinned. Ugh. Relationship fractured, right? That's what happens. That's what sin does. Now, if we believe the gospel, if our marriage is a theater that the gospel informs how we repent and and have faith in our relationship, if the gospel is the theater and we've learned from that theater how to respond appropriately in our marriage, what's our response to our partner's sin? Grace. God's one-way love. We offer love to the offender. That's what I was looking for. The offendee offers grace to the offender. And how does the offender then respond? If they're informed by the gospel story. Faith and repentance, right? Thank you. So let me me just play this out. The good way to do this, okay? I'm going to start with the good way to do this. Um, Husband does not call and is late for dinner for the 75th time this year, okay? I got busy at, we know the excuses. I got busy at work, traffic, in Davenport, really? Whatever, traffic, uh, you know, we got, we could go down, down, you know, this call has fallen, oh, my phone blew up and I had, you know, at work, it's just a busy season and, you know, I'm trying to get this project done and, oh, you know, all this, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But this is like a 70, this is, this happening over and over and over time, right? Wife, She's got two ways to respond. Number one, if she's been putting it off for like 74 times, you're going to get, right? The lash out. And then you're like, what? I'm just late. No, no, no. You're not late. This is like the culmination of 75 lates. So she's like 75 lates mad. All right. She's not, you're thinking she's one late mad. This is just one dime. I just, no, she's 75 lates mad and you just have forgot about it the last 74 times. So you're getting that wrath, right? Now, this is, this, is the, this is the way, ladies, if this is happening, this is the gospel response, one possible gospel response to that. Honey, babe, I know you are really stressed out and work is really busy. I know you're under a lot of pressure. I know you're under a lot of weight. And I thank you for carrying that, right? I thank you for doing that. But did you forget to call us again? Right? You're confronting his sin in a gracious way. Now, if he understands the gospel and he sees the theater of God playing out up here, then he'll respond with faith and repentance. Honey, dang it. You know what? It's not okay. It's not okay that I did that. I apologize. I repent. He's going to own it. He's going to turn from it. But we've got several different ways. Now listen, that's the gospel response. But you're, we're all little legalists and we want to take what I just said and we want to twist it for our own good. So this is what you'll do, ladies, in the same scenario. 
He comes in, right? Hey, how's it going? Well, just so you know, um, you've sinned against me and the family. And uh, you once again did not call. But you know what? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to offer you, I'm going to offer you grace right now. I'm going to offer you grace and uh, I'm going to forgive this sin that you've constantly been doing and placing your family below your work. But I'm going to offer you God's one-way love right now. Right? That is not God's one-way love. That is you're taking out the wrath of God on your husband right there. All right? God's one-way love, the reason we don't take out the wrath is because the wrath has been diverted to Jesus Christ. Jesus took our wrath for us. One thing that's been blowing my mind lately is studying hate and wrath. If you, want to, if you want that to cook your noodle, go do a study on it. Because you don't get love without hate and wrath. If you love something, you hate everything that hurts what you love. Mandatory. You don't get, you don't get love without wrath. You want to see a mother's love? Do something to her kid. Uh-huh. Right? So men, here's another way. Here's the way a men would, in this situation, and this is illustration that I'm using, a, man, a, a failure to believe the gospel, the man would respond this way. A wife, come, you come home, you're late, you know you're late. You, you get reminded on the way home, <gasps> I didn't call. And this is like the 75th time. And you're thinking, oh, okay. You're, you're working through the scenarios in your head. All right, if I just sneak in, maybe I'll do dishes right away. I'll do dishes right away. Or, you know, you're... Maybe I'll sneak downstairs and she'll think I was downstairs. You know, whatever. I don't know. You're you're working out the plan, right? You get home. You know you're a sinner. You know you've screwed up. You know it. You get home. Maybe she doesn't. And this is just, you know, in the gospel world here. But maybe she does respond perfectly. Honey, you know what? Oh, I so appreciate you working hard and the pressure you're under and all that. And, you know, did did you know, did you forget to call us? The man. Come on. You know everything I'm sacrificing? Do you think I want to be at work? Or do you think I would rather be at home with my family? Right? You think I want to be there? You know I hate those people. You know I can't stand them. You know I don't want to do it. I'm only doing it for the family. All these sacrifices I'm making, I'm doing for the family. He doesn't respond with repentance and faith. He responds in the perfect way legalists respond. He's forgetting the gospel. And what happens, men and women, when you're confronted with your sin and you refuse to repent and you make excuses and you divert and you try to make it about the other person somehow and you do the thing where you turn it around and then they get confused and you're like, yes, I'm out of it, right? When you do all that, you're avoiding repentance, And Acts chapter 4 verse 2 says that we should repent so that our sins may be blotted out. And, oh, it's brilliant, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You want to know how to keep the spice alive in your marriage? You want to know how to keep love alive in your marriage? Constant repentance. Single people, this is why you will make a horrible spouse. You are completely averse to repentance. 
You don't want to own Don't tell me about my sin. Don't confront me with all those things. You don't know what happened to me in my past. My wounds are bigger than my sin. You don't, don't tell me about all those things. I can't handle the pressure and the weight of feeling like a failure. You don't know how to repent. So you don't get the refreshing that comes from the Holy Spirit. Repentance brings renewal. Repentance, people, listen. I say this word and people think, they, oh yeah, repentance, I get it, I get it. No, listen, listen, listen. Repentance is not groveling. Oh, I'm so horrible. I'm the worst husband ever. How could you even love me? I can't... Listen, he's doing that because his pride has been hurt. It's the flip side of the same self-centered, self-righteous coin. I feel really good when I do well. I feel like a failure when I fail. It's not repentance. Repentance is not self-pity or penance. Babe, all right, for the rest of the week, I'm going to come home early. Right? It's not penance. I'll owe you. I pay you back. I feel so bad. Repentance is not explaining it away. Me and my friends, we always, we always like to say, this is the, well, uh, see what happened was, right? So you're confronted with, you. well, see what happened was, just stop. If you're wanting to repent, stop now. You're going down the wrong path, right? You're not heading towards repentance. You're explaining it away. My behavior isn't caused by something in me. It's caused by something outside of me. Something out there caused me to react in a sinful way. Ah, Not true. You don't understand the nature of sin if you say that. Repentance is, we say this, and it sounds weird, but we say it. Repentance is owning your sin. Owning it. The Bible doesn't speak like this. You need to repent for lying because you did that thing and it was really bad. The Bible speaks like this. You lied. You're a liar. This is who you are. You committed adultery. You're an adulteress. This is who you are. You worship other things. That's not just an, oh, I'm my bad. You're an idolater. This is what the Bible, this is how wicked we are. This is how deep our sin goes. It's so ingrained in us. You don't just, I get drunk occasionally. You're a drunk and an alcoholic. That's what the Bible says. Sin is that deep in you. It's who you are. And repentance is owning that. I'm a liar. When I feel the weight of other people's opinion, I lie. I'm a liar. I am rebellious. Repentance is owning that. I am a self-justifier. I'm a legalist. I'm a Pharisee. I want to please God by being perfect. You have to own that. That's what repentance... Repentance starts with owning it. You... mm, Okay. Repentance, young people especially, but all of us, repentance is far more than feeling bad about what you do. You hear that? Repentance isn't feeling bad. Oh, I did it again last night. I feel horrible. Oh, man. Yeah, this is how I'm supposed to feel. I feel horrible. I'm repenting. No. Repentance is feeling the weight of that. This is, why am I doing this? This is who I am. I'm desiring to be drunk more than I'm desiring to be loved by God. 
That's more attractive to me. This is who I am by my nature. I need to repent of that by turning to Christ. Turning from alcohol to Christ. Turning from lust to Christ. That's repentance. It's not a feeling. Oh, I feel so bad. I'm horrible. That's your pride. You feel bad because you didn't live up to the standard you set for yourself. I can't believe I got drunk again. I said I wasn't. I can't believe I did this again. I can't believe I said that again. You feel bad because you think you're better than that. No. You're worse than that. And marriage teaches this, teaches us this over and over and over, right? Ladies, how many times has he left his little pile of clothes in the bedroom, right? How many times has he left the toothpaste smear and the shaving stuff? And how many times, right? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Next week, same thing. It's been 40 years, (laughs) right? Guess what? I'm going to say this. He hasn't repented. Repentance is a change of behavior. Repentance is turning And you know he hasn't repented. Some of you just back off and say he's always going to be like that. Marriage says no. This is where the theater of God plays out. This is where repentance and faith is supposed to play out. Listen, when you've been hurt, when you're bitter, when you're angry, when you're depressed, the best way out is through repentance. And listen, I'm not talking about like if, if there's some psychological or chemical things going on in depression. I'm talking about normal de- depression. The best way out is through repentance. And I'm not saying this. I'm not saying, okay, I'm depressed. I must have did something wrong. And I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. And so God's punishing me for my sins. So I need to repent. That's not the type of repentance I'm seeing. I'm, I'm talking about. I'm talking about this. You're depressed. Why? Why? God has given you everything in Christ. He calls you his own. Why are you depressed? You're depressed because you're putting something else above him. You've elevated something else to a need above him. I need security from my spouse. And because we're not financially there, I'm depressed. Because my neighbors and my brother or whoever it is is making more money than me. So I've elevated that thing above my satisfaction and justification in Christ. So therefore, I get depressed. Depression, anger, bitterness, these things happen when we forget the gospel and we put something else above Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so this is one of the, I think this is one of the scariest things that I see in our generation is our complete disregard for repentance and forgiveness. People don't know how to forgive. If you don't know how to forgive... You will go from relationship to relationship, blowing stuff up and hurting people. Being hurt and hurting people. When we fail to forgive, this is what it does. I've said this before, but we all need to hear it again. When we fail to forgive, I could never forgive that person for that. That's what it does. It elevates us. It appeals to our self-righteousness. The reason we say I could never forgive that person is is this is what you're saying. I would never do that. How could a person do that? 
If a person loves someone, how could they do that? We are, we are unforgiving in the areas where we are less prone to behave that way. If you're not prone to get drunk, you're unforgiving towards people who, who have a weakness in that area. You can be. This is why men are far more forgiving when it comes to sexual harassment stuff in the workplace. Because they're like, oh, crap, man. I think I've done that before. So they, they kind of have a light, you know, they, they back up and say, I'm not going to say anything. And the women are leading, leading the charge saying, this is unforgivable. How could you behave that way? Men are like, oh, right? I've done that. I know I have. I just haven't been caught. Right? We are unforgiving in areas that we are less prone to struggle. And, and listen, listen this is, this is, I'm going to confront you with this. Jesus says to us, one of the ways that we know we're Christians is by how we forgive other people. C.S. Lewis says, we can forgive the unexcusable because God has forgiven the unexcusable in us. When you can't forgive, you're forgetting the gospel. That you did the unforgivable to God and he forgave you. A Christian, and this, this, is, where, this is where you see how Pharisees and legalists and moralists react differently than Christians. What do I mean by that? A moralist or, a, or a, a Pharisee, a person who likes the rules, this is, this is how he responds. You confront them with their sin and they feel crushed. And listen, they, maybe even they repent, but they feel farther away from God. You confront them with their sin, they repent, but they feel farther away from God. I let him down again. Dang it. I was sinless for 28 days. And I blew it again. No, no, it's a joke, but you think that way. You think that way. You're a legalist. You're a moralist. You think God approves of you because of your behavior. And listen, this happens on the licentious side too. You're out partying. You finally get caught, right? You're being a fool, treating women like they're property. You get caught. Why are you so mean? You want to divert everything. You know, you try to, you can't own it. Can't own your sin. You're still, you don't know the gospel. You don't believe the gospel. You're still relating to God based on your behavior. And a a, a Christian, they get confronted with their sin. They repent. They're not joyous, but they feel closer to God. Thank you, Father. Wow, I am that bad. I did it again. And your grace is sufficient for me. You sent Christ to die on my behalf because I am a liar. Because I am an idolater. Because I am an abuser. Because I am those things. A Christian sees their sin and they feel closer to the Father. How do you respond when another person points out your sin? How do you respond? Do you believe the gospel? Do you remember the theater of God and how it's playing out and how we are that bad, but God comes after us in in his one-way love? Or do you self-justify? Do you beat yourself up? Do you lash out? Do you try to 
circumvent the issue. So that's number one. Marriage is meant to teach us about grace and repentance. Oh, man. Okay, 10 minutes for, 10 minutes for number two. And this is my favorite one. Um, so we're talking about here, Paul is saying that we're, our marriage somehow points to mar- being married to Christ. Somehow point, points back to how we are the bride of Christ and marriage to Christ and all these different things. I want you to look at Romans chapter 7 verse 2. For a married man or for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, look at this. She will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Okay, stop, right? We get this. If a woman is married but living with another man, right? Adultery, right? That's what it is. That's definition. It's adultery, okay? Let's keep reading. But if her husband dies, she is freed from that law, and if she marries another, she's not like an adulteress. Now look, number four, likewise. Pointing right back to that text we just talked about. Likewise, same way. My brothers, you also have died to the law, moralism, legalism, through the body of Christ, so that, look at this, you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit to God. Listen to this. This is a brilliant text. Paul is just... I mean, he's under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and it's just awesome. It goes right back to, um, uh, to Ephesians, where we're talking here. He's saying we're married to Christ. At once, every one of us, the story of God, the theater of God, we once were married to our sinful passions. We once were married to our legalism. We once all tried to relate to God based upon our behavior. Okay, this is what I'm going to happen when I get to heaven. God's going to look at my good deeds. I hope my good deeds are more than my bad deeds. And he's going to say, okay, you're a pretty good person. Let me in. Right? That's not the way God works. God will look at your good deeds, and if you have any bad deeds, you're going to hell. Unless you are married to Christ, you've died to the law, and you're married to another, you're married to Christ, and therefore you get to heaven, and you've got good deeds and bad deeds, but he looks at Christ's work on your behalf. And he says, Christ's work is sufficient, therefore you're in. Okay? That's how he justifies us. Now listen. This is what's brilliant, though. In this passage, he says this. You can be married to one and having adultery on him. And then at the end of this passage, we see what's the point? Well, what's the point? What is it? Why are we married to God at the end of verse 4? In order that we may bear fruit for God. Christ married us so that we could bear fruit. This echoes Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. That's what we're called to do. Married people... Called to go be fruitful, multiply, make babies, man, fill the world, push God's creation mandate throughout the entire world, go be fruitful and multiply. All right? Paul's saying, in the same way couples are supposed to do that, when you are married to Christ, you should be fruitful with him. This is going to get a little risque. It is a little risque. Through the gospel, we are now married to Christ and we're meant to be intimate with him and bear fruit. 
Listen, I want you to hear that. Hope you know marriage doesn't produce babies. Intimacy does. Paul's showing us you can be married to one and be intimate with the other. Ladies, if you're married to Joe and you're being intimate with Bill, whose fruit are you going to produce? Bill. Right? Mega mystery. Galatians chapter 5. Very familiar passage. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. A junk drawer. It's a junk drawer term. If I didn't list everything, things like these. All right? It's a junk drawer term. Includes all bad stuff, right? I I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And for those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen. For me, this is life-changing. You can be married to one, being intimate with another. Your intimacy determines the fruit that's being produced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a Christian. You're married to Christ. But who are you being intimate with? Married to Christ but sleeping with another, what type of fruit do you think that will produce? Where are you finding your joy? Where are you finding your satisfaction? Where are you finding your meaning, your significance, your pleasure? What makes your heart beat fast? What trips your trigger? That's where you're being intimate. Some of us are intimate. With rule following. Oh, I feel so good when I do it right. People say I'm good. <coughs> I was talking to a guy one time. He said, Justin, I get the gospel here. But when the situation happens, my feelings take over. I just want it so bad. And I just lash out and I just can't handle it. I'm just, I know it here, but I can't, I'm, I'm ran, but I, my, I make my decisions based on my feelings. He's married to Christ, 
but he's intimate with his feelings. He trusts his feelings more than he trusts Christ. His decisions are based more on his feelings than they are on Christ. In a way, he's married to Christ and sleeping with his feelings. What kind of fruit is being produced in his life? Anger, jealousy, dissension, strife, fruits of the flesh. He's being intimate with his flesh. Young man, you may be married to Christ and you can't stop looking at pornography on a screen that's going to produce fruit in your life. It's why you can't love a woman. That's why you can't look at a woman without objectifying her. You're married to Christ. You're intimate with another. It's like we talked about with a pseudo-spouse. These things become a pseudo-spouse to Jesus Christ. And guys, I just, just a note on the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get to go down the fruit of the Spirit and go, I got that one, got that one. Eh, yeah, I suck at that one, but that's okay. I got that. Oh my God. Right? I'm like, I got more than 50%. I'm doing well. Listen, this is not a plural word. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. All or nothing. That's why I used to get angry at, at people who are really, those guys that are really nice and gentle. Because I'd go through the fruit of the Spirit, I'm like, what the heck? They've already got jump started on like eight of these. Right? I'm an aggressive guy. I don't, do, I don't get any of these. It's not fair. No, no, no. Fruit of the Spirit is not developed by personality. Fruit of the Spirit, they all grow at once. If you're not growing in humility, you're not growing in grace. If you're not more loving today than you were a year ago, you're not growing in grace. You may be married to Christ, but you're intimate with another, your flesh. If you are not right now more humble, more gentle, more kind than you were a year ago, you are married, may be married to Christ, but being intimate with the flesh. Notice, Bible answer man is not in the fruit of the Spirit. I wish it was. Okay? theological A game. Yeah, that's not a fruit. Sorry. I wish it was. It's not. In Isaiah 57, 5 through 8, God takes this and makes it incredibly risque. The people are building altars and they're worshiping idols on these altars. They're worshiping false gods. Now, we don't do that today, I know. Well, they also says, the Bible says that we make idols in our heart. And we do it in our heart. But listen, this is what God says. Incredibly risque. So I'm just going to tell you that. Isaiah 57, 5 through 8. God says this to the people. You're burning with lusts for their idol. That you're setting your beds on every high hill. And you're spreading your legs under every high tree. Now, they weren't physically doing that. They were worshiping Baal. They were doing different things. He's saying your idol worship is spiritual adultery. Whoa, do you hear that? You say you're married to me. You say that I am yours and you're sleeping around with me with an idol. You're getting your intimacy with idol worship. Huge. This is why your sins are not like, oh, no big deal. This person I was talking to, who, who his feelings ran things. 
He said, I'm angry at God. I said, why? Because he's just mean to me. Why, how, what do you mean? How's he mean to me? He's not giving me what I want. Oh, he's not living, he's not ordering your life based on your feelings. Okay, and I said, this is what you're doing. You're going to the God of the universe who you're supposed to be married to and you're saying, hey, is it cool if I get a little something on the side? I know we're married and all, but you know, you're not really fulfilling me. And uh, you know, I like to kick it every once in a while with somebody else. Is that cool? Like, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's just sex. I just want to, you know, I'm not, there's something in this relationship, Jesus, that I'm not getting. I need to get that from something else. Marriage doesn't produce fruit. Intimacy does. This is why if some people freak out about premarital sex, the biblical position on premarital sex. If you understand the nature of your salvation, you should get this. We're married to Christ. We're intimate with him. We're built for connection and covenant with one person. Sex is built for a covenant. It's that dangerous. It's that soul connecting. It's that deep. It's that intimate. It's that weak, you know, vulnerable. It needs big fences around it. Do you think, so many of us, we come to Jesus and we say, okay, I'm going to come to you because I I don't want to go to hell. That would be bad, all right? Um, But I, I want... You know, I don't want to go to hell, but I still want to make decisions. Like, I want, I want to run this thing. This is my life. I want to de- determine who I'm friends with. I want to determine who I date. I want to determine what I get to do and don't do. I want to determine where my money goes. I want to determine that. That's like, that's coming to God and saying, yeah, I love you and all and we're married, but I got to have a little something on the side. I love you. I don't love you that much. Not enough to be completely vulnerable with you. Not enough to place my entire life in your hands. Do you think he's okay with that? What type of fruit do you think you'll produce if you live your life that way? Listen. Father has showed his one-way love to you. He's given you grace. Jesus Christ lived the life that you couldn't live and he died the death that you deserve to die so that you could be a bride, a bride, male and female, a bride married to him, intimate with him. And listen to me, intimacy doesn't happen on your way to work. Very rarely do we make babies on our way to work, right? I got 30 seconds, go, okay? Very rarely does intimacy develop on the go. Babies are made when two people slow down and get face to face with one another and they're intimate. They have time. They connect. It's how we connect with God. That intimate through the scriptures, through prayer, through community. 
Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Son. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. This is so brilliant, man. God's saying the greatest sex in the world is only a pointer and a foretaste of what we'll experience on the last day we stand before him in heaven. We think our culture thinks sex is the greatest thing. Live for it. God says, eh, it's just a pointer. The point's not the sign. The point is, what's it pointing to? It's pointing to, we will be satisfied completely, forever, eternally in heaven because we're intimate with him. We get caught up in the life of the Trinity in heaven and in the new creation. The marriage bed is the greatest display of intimacy on this planet, but it's only the beginning. The most important day of your marriage isn't the first day where you're standing before all your family and friends. The most important day of your marriage is the last day where we'll finally be complete as we're caught up in the life of the Trinity. And this is what God offers us today. His one-way love, complete intimacy, complete satisfaction, your whole identity caught up in him. You're his bride. He chose you. And you are a corpse. <laughs> he chose a corpse for his bride. But he renews you so you're without spot or wrinkle when he gets you to the kingdom. If you're in this room today and you're not you're an unbeliever maybe you've grown up in church but you've been moralist you're you've been the i'll do good and i'll just come to church and god will love me that's not the gospel the gospel is you can never be good enough but jesus christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and your response to that one-way love is faith and repentance i ask you believe it today if you're a believer You've entered into that. You've stepped into that. But your idolatry has led you away. Repent of who you are. Repent of the sinful man or the sinful woman that you've become. And return again to the grace of the Spirit. Return again to the gospel. This table that we celebrate is all about grace. He was broken for us. Guys, we didn't dream this up. We didn't plan this. We resist this. We're reminded as we come today that this was provided for us. He put himself forward as a propitiation, as an offering to God to stop the wrath of God, to divert the wrath of God. He put himself forward for us so that he could get a bride. God showed us his one-way love right here. God came after us right here. Look at when you come, and you open your hands and look, that's all you do. I stand in the place right now. I'm not God. I stand in the place as an under shepherd and I get to do what God has done. I break the body of Christ and I place it in your hand. And what do you do? You just receive it and you eat it. It's all you do. A picture, a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. You didn't prepare this. You didn't work for this. You didn't earn this. You receive it. God, you are amazing. I thank you for what you've done. 
I thank you for the theater where you play out repentance and faith. You play out the gospel. You play out intimacy and fruitfulness. And I pray that we would respond in faith and repentance today. We would turn from our old self, our sinful passions, and we would turn once again to the glorious grace in the gospel for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.